how did you get here nobody's supposed to be wait y'all supposed to be here wait don't say nobody supposed to be here come on bmo one more time <laughs> how did you get here everybody supposed to smoke here <clears throat> You tried that morning show thing for the last time. What's, what else you say after that? <laughs> Your heart says smoke, smoke. <laughs> you know you want some be more. You tried those other IG live shows. <laughs> That's all I got. For that. <laughs> Is Deborah Cox considered a one-hit wonder? No. no. She got another joy, right? We can't be friends because I'm still smoking with you. Let's start the show, sweetheart. Let's get it popping. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning, good morning, and welcome back to another episode of Who Wake and Bake with you Tuesday and Thursday, 8 a.m. ish. Smoke you a blunt, let's be high in this bitch. Wake and Bake with you be more. Yeah. Welcome back to another episode, y'all. Make sure we're saying good morning to the drum roll of my life, to the to the ISO lens under 500, keep me in framed portion body of my camera. Let's make sure you're saying good morning to the lady of the house. Good morning, lady of the house. Good morning, sweetheart. How you doing? Okay. Yeah? <laughs> Just okay? Yeah. All right, for sure. Yeah, huh? For sure. Okay. Huh? Okay. Okay, for sure, for sure. How you doing? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm all right. We had a Memorial Day weekend. And like every other weekend, we didn't do not a goddamn thing. Well. We did some things? Yeah. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. That's absolutely right. <laughs> We're absolutely going to talk about them. Uh, we have some cool people on the line already. So we got Marissa on the line. Good morning, Mama. Morning. How you feeling this morning? We got we got Kramer on the line. Yeah, Kramer. Kramer! Hey. <laughs> What's up? How you doing? It's early in California. Good gracious, man. Right? It's like, well, Five you know. O'clock. Hey, man. Early morning, late nights. That's your business. That ain't my business. That's your business. <laughs> uh, as always, we want to thank the good folks over at the Washington Informer Bridge, WIBridgeDC.com, to catch to check out the most latest news from Black DC or all of DC, to be honest with you, or at WIBridgeDC on all social media platforms. They are our lovely uh, uh, sponsors and contributors to the show. We, where would we be without the Washington Informer? Where would I be without the Washington Informer Bridge? Um, so we want to thank them like we do every morning. And there they go right there. You can see the I'm playing with it. Anyway, thank you to the Washington Former Bridge. Uh, we have some very interesting things we want to talk about this morning. Oh, and to my man Mingo this morning. I got you. 
I got the sweatshirt on. Ernesto. What's that? Huh? Ernesto Valdez. <laughs> uh, good morning to you. Make sure we're saying good morning to the house now. Good morning to the house. Good morning to the lady of the house now. All right, I'm not going to be having all this rigmarole and we got people on here <laughs> listening and commenting and not saying nothing to the morning lady, uh, not saying good morning to the lady of the house. Got a little fast mouth this morning. Let me slow it down just a tad. Slow Slow-mo <laughs> this morning. <laughs> no, we have some great things we want to talk about this morning. Uh, we want to follow up on a conversation that we've been having about how we have made the greatest racial discovery this side of 1905 right here on Wake and Bake with BMO. We might follow up on that later on in the C-section. We want to talk about some memorials that we went over, a memorial we went over to this weekend and reminded me how much I don't want to live with white folks. But first, uh, there's something I've been wanting to talk to the, the Wake and Bake with BMO <laughs> nights about. America. America. <laughs> America, there's something, I need, there's something we need to talk about. Um, there is a theory. Okay. The name of the theory is Afro-pessimism. Mm -hmm. Now, I feel like by saying the words theory and then Afro-pessimism, a lot of people have rolled their eyes. <laughs> a lot of people are like, oh my God, we're gonna do some academics this morning. I'm going to try to explain this in a way that's not dry, that is very becoming of our morning show, something that helps bridge the gap between stupidity and liberation. Nothing wrong with being stupid, by the way. You just got to find the solutions to do so. Um, I want to talk about Afro-pessimism, and I'm going to do something dangerous, sweetheart. Okay. I hope we don't lose half the audience by doing so. I'm going to pick up a book. <laughs> <laughs> a book. See how it's greasy on the outside? That means my hand's been on there while I was freshly moisturized. This morning, I want to talk to you about um, uh, uh, a theory from Frank B. Wilderson, uh, which also comes from Black Feminist Thought as well. It's called Afro-Pessimism. And the reason why I want to talk about Afro-Pessimism, uh, for the last year and some change, we've been stuck on radical racelessness, which is easy to think about, because it's like, oh, it's radical, and we have no race. Mm -hmm. uh, the season four of Wake and Bake with BMO, we have been trying to investigate exactly what black is. First, we attacked whiteness to figure out what whiteness is. We even tried to find the white N-word, in which we did. Def definitely go check out the last episode of Wake and Bake with BMO for that. Greatest racial discovery in the last 127 years. Uh, but there is another lens that we can look at race and it's called Afro-pessimism. Now, sweetheart, put up the quote and let's read the quote out loud. I don't know if you can read it. It might be a little small. There you go. Okay. Afro-pessimism is a lens of interpretation that accounts for civil society's dependence on anti-black violence. Got that. Yeah. Everybody got that. Afro-pessimism is a lens Mm -hmm. It's not your eyeballs. It means you can take it off and put it back on. <laughs> take it off. Put it back on. Keep going, sweetheart. A regime of violence that positions black people as internal enemies of civil society. Now, as an example of one of those regimes, we could say capitalism, a regime of violence. That means there is a group of people who are siphoning resources from the lower class. Keep going. The claim that humanity is made legible through the 
irreconcilable distinction between humans and blackness is one of the first principles of Afro-pessimism. Mm-hmm. And it is supported by the argument that blackness is a paradig- paradigmatic mm-hmm. position. Keep going. Oh. This is what we've been talking about on Wake and Bake with BMO all the season four so far. Blackness is not, hold on, just say that, what does it say next? Blackness is not just a collection of culture or history or, or, or a philosophy that is combined by a biological group of people who look alike. Yeah. Blackness is actually just a caste. It is a position in society, a low position in that. Keep going, sweetheart. Afro-pessimism implores us to think blackness at a level of abstraction and to think the human to think the human as a fetishized form rather than as a universal given. The human (laughs) is a fetishized form and not a universal given, which means some people have to work their way up to be human, Mm -hmm. which means they have already been classified as subhuman. Now, how can we make this make sense? How can we make Afro-pessimism make sense? There is the most common way I can think about it is this way. Um, is Africa a continent or a country? Continent. We know that. Yeah. But the most common misconception is people will call Africa a country. Right. And the reason why that's an Afro-pessimistic thought is because it automatically assumes that everybody within this region has the same homogeneous realities, the same philosophy, the same thoughts. We can all treat them the same because this country of Africa, this whole continent, probably the largest uh, continental land except Eurasia, is all one homogeneous situation. Therefore, we can treat them as a subclass, right? Africa is a country. It's not a country. It's a continent. But if we all categorize it as one sovereign state of subclass, then we can all agree that Africa is of this subclass. That is a very highbrow way of thinking about it. But the lady of the house and I, we were smoking weed on the couch over the weekend, and we found a very glaring, very glaring example of Afro-pessimism. By the way, just if you haven't caught on, Afro-pessimism is also another way of saying old blueprints. Mm-hmm. We got that? Okay. Later in the house, smoking weed on the couch, we saw a very interesting form of Afro-pessimism that is uh, um, more hidden than you would think. Actually, if you had never known the history of this particular practice, you would have thought it was just a practice of capitalism. Sweetheart, go ahead, play the video. TIP stands for to ensure promptness. Tipping may go back as far as the Roman era, but according to most experts, the practice likely has its origins in medieval Europe. Noblemen taking passage on roads would throw coins to the rubble to ensure safe passage. One theory is that it evolved in eating and drinking establishments as a way to forestall envy, that when you're eating and drinking, you're having fun, and the people who are serving you are not. Fast forward to the 19th century, when waiters who received a full wage went on strike demanding higher wages, they were replaced with women who employers could pay less. A decade later, there was the population of newly freed slaves. The idea from these restaurant owners was that they were giving the luxury or privilege of a white person's tips. That was without a full wage. Ironically, as tipping exploded in the United States, it became less common in Europe and was replaced with service charges. Sweetheart, (laughs) did I just hear that tipping as a practice was something that was created 
out of a result of classism. Here, I have money, you don't. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I'm going to throw money at you at fun because you need money, and that's the way I separate the class. I heard that, right? Mm -hmm. Did I also hear that in 1854, there were waiters who were making full-time salaries, mm -hmm. and when they asked for more money, they were replaced by women and black folks mm -hmm. who thought it would be a privilege to receive white people's money. But just the tips. Just the tips, though. Yeah. Sweetheart, what color is money? <laughs> Green. <laughs> Does, if a white man gives me a dollar and you give me a dollar, how many dollars do I have? Two. Okay, did I get a dollar 75 from the white man and 25 cents from you, or I got a dollar from each? So it's the same money. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. It's the same money, but somehow this service, this, 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 this practice of tipping stems from an idea that someone else's money as a surcharge to a service they're already paying for would be not only a financial benefit to you, but also a cultural and social benefit to you as well. Mm -hmm. And that's called tipping. And they established this system in 1855. 10 years later, niggas became waiters and the salary for waiters has not changed. The practice and protocols for how people make money in that service has not changed. As almost to say, the waiters in 1854, who I'm pretty sure were white men, deserved full wages because they were white men. Meanwhile, these women and black folks have to make their way up to human by sup by supplementing white money tips mm -hmm. this is afro pessimism <laughs> <clears throat> this is the belief that a certain group of people whether they be biologically connected whether it be philosophically connected culturally connected and if we throw slavery in there you have to erase all that shit anyway because all of those philosophies and cultures and societal norms between those individual peoples of africa were deleted in order to fit into this one social caste system that is black if this system was designed a system that was designed in 1855 is continuing until 2023 and is at the very base of a service industry in which i think is like what they say, one in, oh, I don't want to make up a stat, but it's a lot of people who end up being service people. Mm -hmm. One in two people in this house have been right. a service person before. Yeah. Depending on tips. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think the solution to tipping is? And by solution to tipping, I'm also going to, we're going to use tipping as an example of social caste, but let's just say that anyway. What do you think the solution to tipping is? How do we get a group of laborers to make equitable money based on the service that they provide? Pay them fair wages? <laughs> Eradicate the need for tipping? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. The easiest way to eradicate this old blueprint, the easiest way to eradicate this form of Afro-pessimism, the easiest way to eradicate this inequitable outcome of capitalism and classism is to get rid of it altogether, mm -hmm. to pay people a wage based on the service that they make. Mm -hmm. But Afro-pessimism is so fucked up. Capitalism is so fucked up. This inequitable system of caste is so fucked up that the people who are working in those industries feel like it is an advantage to make these tips. Mm -hmm. 
the people who own these industries, manage, uh, restaurant managers and owners, they believe that the most fair way for their business to stay alive is to keep up this inequitable system of tipping. Mm -hmm. How how did a group of individuals believe get to understand that this particular practice was best for them? The acceptance of white money. <laughs> money is not a solution. Money is also not the solution to Afro-pessimism or to this, to this tipping service, although it ironically is the solution at the same time. Uh, but it, it, I don't know, it's, it's one of the, uh, when looking up <laughs> certain aspects of American culture, there are certain things that I'm not surprised about. I'm not surprised at the history of the word cotton picking or red-handed. I'm not surprised that these are based in uh, uh, um, oppression or based in marginalization or based in a racial discrimination. Mm -hmm. What does surprise me is things like this right here. I didn't know that tipping uh, came from suffrage and slavery. Right. And yet we still have those practices that were there to basically initiate suffrage and slavery or initiate how we treat women in society as inequitable or they don't deserve the, <clears throat> the same amount of pay. It's, it's funny how we can have a conversation about the wage gap and this thing is just staring us directly in the face, but we can't get rid of it because capitalism says we need to make as much money as possible within these systems. <clears throat> I don't really have much else to say about it, but I just wanted to point it out. Like Afro-pessimism is everywhere. It may not appear and just black spaces, it may appear in other spaces. I feel like Afro-pessimism is another word for old blueprints. Um, Frank B. Wilderson and his crew of Afro-pessimists, they are not as optimist as we are on this show, okay? Um, they don't believe there is a solution to Afro-pessimism. The world is so dedicated on, not dedicated, the world is so dependent upon the siphoning of resources from the lower class that it would not exist without that siphoning without the racial caste or the liberation of that racial caste. It's an interesting thought to think about. We have another segment. Um, you know what? This might fit here. Like, what? Hmm. What's up? I feel like this is going to fit into our segment after the break. I feel like this conversation about how we, this conversation of the establishment of the social caste, this thought of this lens of Afro-pessimism, which is a lens that says that uh, uh, basically the world is depending on blackness to siphon resources from I think it'll lead into our conversation about Sherwood Forest and how I think, I think I'm, I think I don't want to see white folks no more. <laughs> I think I'm good. Okay. I think I'm straight. We got any comments? We got any questions? We got any comments? People in the, people in the, in the Instagram, everybody join the chat. What's going on? Um, well, we got good morning from, well, morning y'all from Empress. Good morning. Good morning, Empress. <laughs> how we doing? Good morning. That's pretty much it, but we got TL. TL! Kells. Cooking, cooking. Okay. Cooking? I don't know. Cool. Um, the twins' uncle. Hey, twins. Jay Moselle. Hey, Jay. Micah. Micah, what's up? Good morning, man. JC Cunningham. Oh, Jossie, what's up, man? Oh, Jossie. Pass the past the positive. <laughs> Strong ass. Good gracious. Go ahead. And Danny. Danny, Danny. 
Good morning, everyone. Um, <clears throat> before we take this quick break, I want to remind y'all to go ahead and subscribe to the New Blueprints newsletter. is an opportunity for you to actually read some of the summations that we make here, that we make here right here on Wake and Bake with BMO. So go to bmobrown.substack.com. If you need the scholarship, it is five dollars a month. If you want to subscribe to all the to all the, the fun readings that we have over there is uh, $5 a month, but if you need that scholarship, just slide in the DM, shoot me a text, tell me something, okay? I don't want to deprive the people of the knowledge. The new Blueprints uh, newsletter is our attempt to actually maybe get rid of Afro-pessimism. Maybe we can prove Frank B. Wilberson, Wilderson? I say I'm so dyslexic. Frank B. Wilderson III wrong right there on the new Blueprints newsletter. Maybe we can write a book, Afro-optimism. <laughs> But we know it ain't true. That's all right. We're going to be right back. We have a music video from our good friend Nomad the Native. Check him out on all social media platforms, Nomad the Native. Uh, we have his music video shot in the small wooden box right here in Washington, D.C. It is called the Anti-Social Social Club. Go check that out. Go listen to, what's the name of his tape? What's the purse? The purple tape? Oh, what is oh the it? lavender. Is it like Purple Days or something like that? No. I thought it was like Lavender Days. Yeah, let me let me look it up real quick. He's got an album that's like purple. Lavender. Yeah. Go be great in your lavender. <laughs> lavender Smoke, Lavender Haze, Lavender J. Make yeah. sure y'all go check out Anti-Social Social Club on Lavender J uh, by Nomad the Native on all streaming services. Make sure y'all go read, read. Make sure y'all go watch the video. Anti-Social Social Club, we're going to play it right here on Wake Up Back with b We'll be back with more right after the show. And we'll smoke a nice blunt. We might cut the video off a little earlier because we're dealing with some, with some insight experimentation. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hello? Yo, what's going on with you, brother? I got a party tonight for us to go to. Come ride with me. Uh, mm, nah, I'm gonna just kick it in the crib tonight. Nigga, you always do this shit, yo. Come ride with me to this party. You always ask the same question, but the answer don't change, so... I'm gonna just catch you next time. We, we good, bro. Check it. Either you come with me to this party, I'm gonna bring the party to you. Good luck, nigga. My door is locked. Oh, this motherfucker done hung up on me. Three hours later. Yo! Nigga, I know you hear me. I'ma join the anti-social social club Hit my phone, you know what's up Drinking late and everybody know the shit I be out the mix with the shit I don't need that Hit me with the split for the lick and the recap I'ma join the anti-social social club Hit my phone, you know what's up Drinking late and everybody know the shit I be out the mix with the shit I don't need that Hit me with the split the lick, the recap I don't know, dog. Sometimes I'm a menace. Call me old dog. Mama ain't raised no show off. But I got the scale, might as well get the flow off. Stun a little bit, brush them all off. They don't really love me, they just like the idea. That's a oh nah. Certain social circles seem so false, like your wall. Frenemies sucking your energy, enemies trying to get rid of me. People prefer the proximity. I get it, but won't let them limit me. Feel free to keep it private. Nosy niggas wildin', riding through the city like Batman and D&D, my Robin. Quiet, phone always on, but the ring will be on silent. I've been trying to stay about the way. 
I trade my locks for waves. This is the kind of vibe you couldn't confiscate. Straight from the source, never concentrate. Take care of my chickens, can't nobody take them off my plate. I should infiltrate the antisocial social club. Hit my phone, you know what's up. Tricky letting everybody know this shit. I be out the mix with the shit, so I don't need that. Hit me with the split for the lick. Recap. I'ma join the anti-social social club. Hit my phone, you know what's up. Tricky letting everybody know the shit. I be out the mix with the shit, so I don't need that. Hit me with the split. The lick. The recap. Um, nah, I'm hitting. Y'all be too hot, I be chilling. You be here here for brunch. Right dinner, they call you a villain. These niggas fickle pickles, and they be biting like tender fiddles. Might be exciting up in the middle with my niggas when liquor get in the system. But I'm Dutch at your function, I had to split it. Get in this feeling like shit is different, like my routine. I do not act like don't do scenes. I'm on a roll like a loose leaf. Single me out like a Lucy. I throw up the dudes profusely. <clears throat> Excuse me, this was cool. Peace. Hey, Mo, hmm? I ain't even gonna hold you, that shit was here. Yeah. I know, man. On some, like, difference of opinion shit, like, mm-hmm. you, you came with that one, yeah. I'd be safe, fool. All right. fuck with you. Peace. Welcome back to more Wake and Bake with B. Mo. Yeah. I see my auntie on the line. What's up, auntie? Huh? <laughs> Aunt Laverne on the line. Everybody say good morning, Aunt Laverne. How you feeling down in South Carolina? Hope everything is all right. Mm. Hope everything is all right. <laughs> hey, meet the lady of the house. This is Imani. Imani is Aunt Laverne. Aunt Laverne. Imani. <laughs> Aunt Laverne will fuck with you. She wouldn't fuck my language, though. Sorry. Uh. Um, <laughs> and that's a fact. Um, oh, we are back with more Wake and Bake with BMO. I am struggling to roll with this very little filter. She, she said good. She's doing good. Huh? She's doing good. She's doing good? Yeah. Good. Good, 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 good. Um, uh, struggling with this little bitty filter. We have a couple more topics that we want to talk about this morning. We just finished up an interesting conversation about Afro pessimism uh, and the prevalence, which is basically Afro pessimism is a prevalence or the need for black bodies to fulfill this lower caste space so that whiteness in the world can survive. We use the example of tipping, how tipping is a service that comes from slavery. Now, does that mean BMO was saying, hey, <laughs> when you go to the Applebee's tonight, don't tip your waiter. That's not what I'm saying. Because right. your waiter need that money. But what I am saying is that it's interesting that there are lobbyists mm-hmm. who have been trying to uphold this law of tipping instead of trying to come up with a radical way to pay the workers a service or pay the workers a, a, a wage that they think is necessary for life. When the pandemic started, um, there were a lot of revelations about essential workers that we didn't think existed mm-hmm. when the, I, I, I will never forget this. Would you remember when the pandemic started, they sent out them letters to all the essential workers that said they could still go outside, mm-hmm. but all the essential workers were doctors and nurses. Mm-hmm. But then like everybody and their mama was ordering from DoorDash. Yeah. And we realized that probably the most important people outside of doctors and nurses in America during the pandemic were the niggas delivering our food. (laughs) Were the people who would get up and go to work every day, sweat in the hot kitchen with no customers that they could see and still 
make what they had to make. Right. Um, so I'm not saying go out and deprive those people. What I'm saying is I think it's high time that we have a conversation about liberating those folks from a very dangerous and nefarious system that is called tipping. Mm-hmm. Uh, so give your way to a tip and then show them this clip so they can tell their boss it's time to get this, get this up out of here. But the reason why I feel like this conversation is important about tipping because tipping is about the establishment of a class or the practices of a high class or of a classist society operating through commercial and capitalistic ways, right? We can we can see that. I think a lot of y'all can see the direct connection between tipping and the nefarious prospects of capitalism. I was making a lot yeah. of noise. That was weird. Um, so the lady in the house and I, I don't know, I feel like I want to tell the whole story. The lady in the house, and, the lady in the house got a job recently. Now to put your business out there twice now, so <laughs> But the lady house got a job, as we're talking about cogs of capitalism, um, like a job, job. I'm not yeah. gonna say the name of the organization, like but like, like it's a career, like a yeah, yeah, like benefits and 401k, yeah, <laughs> yeah like a yeah, like yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah like a right. job. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the interesting thing about this position is that Imani replaced a dead woman, and I don't mean like. Oh, she died a couple years ago and they finally just now got to the point of rehiring somebody. No, <laughs> from my, from my understanding, if, my, if, uh, if Imani started the job on Friday, the lady died on Monday. Yeah. Uh, and it was very essential to the organization. Yeah. Um, and what was interesting because, you know, we, Imani works from home. So I, I'm hearing the conversations in the conference calls. And so when Imani first joins on to the organization, it was interesting in a very positive way to hear how the workers of her organization were grieving the death of their coworker. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of us who participate in this capitalistic structure, structure, those of us who are doing the nine to fives, even those of us who are doing the entrepreneurism, I know there is a there is a common trope that's like, oh, take your leave because your company don't care about you. Yeah. And to a certain degree, I could say that maybe the company didn't care. Mm-hmm. Because they replace the lady who died with somebody else like four days later. So maybe they didn't care. But the cool thing about companies is that companies don't breathe. Mm-hmm. Like the organization that you have the organization that you work for doesn't have eyes. Yeah. So it can't cry. But the people who work for the organization right. do have eyes. Mm-hmm. And they did cry. There was one time uh where Imani was on a conference call and I think she went to the bathroom real quick, put the put the put the the camera on mute, the microphone on mute, and I'm sitting on the couch, which is right behind here. She's sitting here, and I'm listening to the individuals of the organization talk about the previous person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just started crying. Like there would be conversations where they'd just be sitting there in silence for like long minutes. Yeah. And just work needed to be done. They operate something that is very time based. It, I'm saying it's got a deadlines. We got to get it done, which I understand why you, you know, you got hired on a Friday, later died on Monday. Shit. We got to, we got another thing to produce. Yeah. Uh, But hearing these people mourn in a real world way brought me solace, brought me peace to a certain degree because yeah, the trope is true. Your company don't care because your company don't have emotions. But if you think the people who are around you Mm -hmm. aren't directly, uh, uh, um, 
affected by your actions, mm -hmm. by your emotions, by your life. This lady worked at this organization for like 20 something years. Yeah. You know what I mean, mm -hmm. they saw her get married. They saw her uh, have a have a have fights with her husband. Uh, uh, move, yeah. maybe divorce, mm -hmm. maybe write a new book, maybe say f the old book. You know, so many things that you can watch in twenty and twenty years of somebody's life. Anyway, this person died. Mm -hmm. This is a while ago. Like this six months ago. It's like six months ago. But over the weekend, they had a memorial service mm -hmm. at one of her homes. I, yeah, like or her neighborhood home, home yeah. childhood home. Yeah. Uh, if you've seen <sighs> any white movie about summer camp, <laughs> this is the place they have it. Right. This is the old money. Like, old yeah. money. I don't even want to say the name of the place because I feel like they're gonna <laughs> find me and be like, "Why was you on my property?" It's so remote that like the map, it was just water around and you couldn't even really like pinpoint where it was exactly. So remote, it took us a long time to get Ubers. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you needed a key code to drive into a gate that had you drive another six miles <laughs> to the neighborhood. Yeah, but we're there. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I'll say the thing about Imani's organization that is pretty cool. They are new white people. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're not the old conservative oh, yeah, yeah. Jim Crow white people. Right. They knew 2020 white people. Right. They post George Floyd, <laughs> George Floyd white people. Yeah. Um, which means that they want, they want diverse friends. Mm -hmm. They want equitable relationships mm -hmm. and they want, uh, non white folks to feel included. Right. <laughs> um, which is cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's cool. It's not the solution, but it's cool uh, until it's not right. <laughs> because so Imani and I, we are at, hold on, I'm about to light this blunt because it's about to get real. <laughs> Imani and I, we are at the memorial service and as black folks do, I don't know, do all black folks do this? When you go to a place, you go to a new place and you already notice and enough black folks, do you start counting the black people? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you start counting the black people. Uh, Imani and I go and we walk into this memorial service late as niggas do. Because uh, white people, was, they was on time. Let me tell you something. The thing started at 2. We got there at 2.20. They were halfway through the program. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they were halfway through the program. Okay. Um, uh, Imani and I get there. I notice I'm looking at the back of heads. I'm not seeing any kinky coils. Yeah. Uh, I count. I count one other black person. Yeah. Imani says you saw a black man. I ain't see him. <laughs> I ain't see him. Imani says there was one black dude there. I ain't see the black dude. So let's say there was half a black man and well one and a half if you count me. One and a half black man and two black women. Yeah. In the whole situation. And. And there were a lot of people there. <laughs> there were a lot of people there. Full room. Right. Full clubhouse full of people. People standing, yeah. And, again, these are the new whites. Mm -hmm. They're in the eulogies. I can hear there's, like, some anti-Trump rhetoric. There's yeah. some pro-Hillary <laughs> conversations going on. Right. And I'm, I'm in my head like, okay, here we go. So Imani and I are sticking out like sore thumbs. Mm -hmm. And and if you know Imani and I, uh, we are black. But we are also very black. Like we are also like big natural hair, yeah. locks, black clothes, very speak blackly, do black things, <laughs> very black people. And so uh, during the memorial, everything is cool, but directly after the memorial, you start to get, I don't know if you even noticed this, but you start to get the, what are you doing here face? Mm -hmm. 
There's the death of a white woman on a private property. She worked for this organization that's majority white. That is doing very white things. Sorry, sweetheart. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and there are these two very black people here, and you start to get the face of, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. Now, the old whites will just look at you. Right. The old whites will look at you. The old whites will circle you. They'll follow you around in the store. You know the old whites. Mm-hmm. You know the old blueprints. Yeah. The new whites, though, <laughs> this is why I was so ready to fucking go. Yeah. The new whites will come and talk to you. Yeah. But they not talking to you because they want to talk to you. Mm-hmm. They talking to you for the same reason the old whites are talking to you. They trying to figure out, why the fuck are you here? Right. <laughs> why are you here? And that's the first question they ask you. Mm-hmm. How do you know this person? They're like, hey, how you doing? Hey, how do you know this person? Right. <laughs> I should have lied. I should have been like, that was my mother. <laughs> I saw the drugs. <laughs> You're right, sweetheart. I should have been like, we sold her drugs. <laughs> we was her weed man. What? what? Yeah. <laughs> you didn't know your girl blew down. Right. <laughs> Full of surprises. Full of surprises. The day blew down. <laughs> But we were um we were in this we we're in this secluded neighborhood mm-hmm. and I'll be honest with you, sweetheart. Yeah. Aesthetically, beautiful. Gorgeous, yeah. Oh my god. Houses beautiful, big, beautiful yards and lawns. Lots of trees and lots of trees, trees and distance. And, yeah. There's some golf courses and basketball courts and a full swimming pool with Olympic with Olympic swimming lanes. They got a little store. On it's a little property. store. Yeah. You a little broken go steal from the store. <laughs> right. No, you can't. No, you can't. <laughs> And Imani and I were sitting there, and I'm like, wow, look at this opulence. And the first thought that comes in my mind before we're ready to walk out is, sweetheart. Wait, why your laptop not charging? Oh, my laptop not charging. Oh. Yeah, hurry up. We're going to lose the show. <laughs> the lady house is breathing. Oh, she's breathing hard. We're running out of time. Will we make it? We made it. Um, so that's the first thing, but as we as we're waiting for our lift to come for thirty minutes or whatever, I'm sitting there and I'm watching these white people strategically surround us, trying to figure out what's going on, trying to figure out if we're good people, trying to figure out if we're robbing the place. <sighs> Me and Imani are in our funeral clothes, by the way, which means you know we pretty put together for for a moment. Now, like you know, I'm saying I got my Tims on. We in our loafers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Legit in our loafers and anklets. Right. Couldn't run from the cops if we tried. Right. And we we're waiting on the lift. We get in the lift, and I'm like, you know what? I think I'm good on white people. I think, I think if I never saw another white person again, I'd be okay. Hmm. But the question here, sweetheart, remember that time we was asking, can you live without paper? Yeah. Let's do this. (laughs) Can you live without white people? Here's an interesting stat that I saw. Okay. Because I love the stats. You can bring up the stats too if you want to. I think it's um uh can I live without white folks? Okay. Here's an interesting stat that I saw. Uh metropolitan areas areas are diversing at a at a record rate. Okay. Just now, I when I first moved to DC, I believe that DC was 71% global majority people. Now it is 36%, wait, it's 36%, 46% white people, 54% non, I mean, 54% global majority folks. 
that means in the 15 years that I've been here, we have gone from 71% to 54%. Mm -hmm. We also saw in the pandemic that 100,000 white people fled Washington, D.C. But you know what's interesting about that stat? As metropolitan cities are diversing, you know what's not diversing? White neighborhoods. White neighborhoods, all white neighborhoods are still growing at the same rate that they were growing in 1950. How? How are, how is the city becoming more diverse, but white neighborhoods are becoming even more secluded? That's what the, those gray, the gray bars are on the, yeah. Exactly. These are the, right. the these white are the neighborhoods. Stats. Yeah. <laughs> these are the stats that I'm showing. The city is diverse, but the, the white neighborhoods are even whiter. Yeah which means white folks are in both places. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> so I asked the Wake and Bake with Bebo and I said serious questions. I'm asking you a serious question, sweetheart. Mm -hmm. Can I live a life completely without white people? Can I not see another white person again and survive in America? I think it's possible, but at this moment right now, probably not. Who's closest? <laughs> what colored person in America is the closest to living completely free of white people? <laughs> I have a controversial one. Okay. They're not gonna like it though. Cause they're gonna say he pandering to white folks all the time. Who? Tyler Perry. <laughs> That's fair. Tyler Perry might be. I'm I'm thinking about it now. Hold on. Could Tyler Perry live without white folks? He made it without white folks. Right. White folks wouldn't come to see no doggone Medea, right. no black Baptist church <laughs> transgendered play about morality and black life. White folks wouldn't go in to see that. Do I want to live a life without white people? Is that racist? You can take, you can take the stat down. Because okay. now we're just talking. I was going to talk about something else. But was, <laughs> Monty and I at the white, at a memorial for somebody's death. And the only thing I can think about is getting away from these white folks. Is that racist? Hmm. I mean, technically no, because you don't have power over them, but. Oh. Is it prejudice? Or am I protecting myself? I feel like it's more so that. <laughs> is this self-defense or is it racism? No, seriously, could I live without white people? I think the people who own this building are white. The people who own the train are white. Yeah. The people who own Instagram are white. Uh, the people who own Canon are white. Let's see here. The people who own Apple are white. The people who own Shure are white. I got a Mingo. But who makes the... I don't know. <laughs> they might be brown. The people who make the actual sweatshirt might be brown, but who designed this person is black. The art behind me is black, but I got it from a white print shop. I mean, the chair you're sitting on is from a, a white corporation. It's white. The tripod is white. These lights is white. 
but can I live without white people? <laughs> uh, I, th- I believe it was Gwendolyn Brooks. It's either Gwendolyn Brooks or another Gwendolyn who's a political scientist. She believed in this theory, another theory I'll tell you about another day, which is called pragmatic nationalism, which is the thought that we could live as we did prior to integration. Uh, where we are depending independently on, we're depending exclusively on black owned products. Mm -hmm. And because of our social cast away from whiteness at the time, it would have been impossible to be dependent upon white folks other than the maybe like uh, industries that were dominated or owned by whiteness in which black folks over index in. So that could be um, transportation, sanitation, et cetera. I don't know. Do I, would I want, I find it's going to turn into a conversation about what white people do I want to, oh, okay. So on the first episode of Wake and Bake with Bimo, I've told you I was reading, you can grab a book for me, sweetheart, if you can. I got the biography of Walter White. Walter White, not the dude for Breaking Bad, okay, in case you, you missed out. Walter White is one of the founders of the NAACP who looks like this. Well, I'll show you. I'm not even going to tell you what it looked like. He looked like this, and he claimed to be black. <laughs> he looked like this, and in the 1900s, he claimed to be black and lived himself as a black man. I haven't started reading the book. But I laid the house can attest. I opened it up just to a random paragraph. Yeah. And in that random paragraph, it said that Walter Wright wrote the magazine. He was writing uh, the editor of one of the more popular white magazines of the time in the 1900s. Uh, and this paragraph, he just wrote the question of, he was like, I challenge you to write, I challenge you to deliver me a list of the most impressive white people that have ever existed. Mm-hmm. And the uh, editor of the magazine gave him like, Mark Twain mm-hmm. and somebody else, but something to the effect that Walter White was was basically saying that white greatness doesn't exist. This man, mm-hmm. this man who founded the NAACP, said that white greatness doesn't exist. So I don't know if I want to give it that. I want to know if I want to give it that. Uh, give him that kind of credit because I think about like right now. Last week we talked about the history of rock or rock and roll and how I thought when I think about Mick Jagger, I'm actually thinking about Tina Turner. Right. Tina Marie was in my head and I didn't want to say Tina Marie. I don't know why. <laughs> but when we're talking about Mick Jagger, we're actually talking about the performance style and also the the musical styles of Tina Turner. Mm-hmm. They go to Afro-pessimism again too. Mm. What was we talking about, sweetheart? Can, Can I live without white people? Yeah. Should I not want to live without white people? Is it self-defense? Is it discrimination? Is it self-preservation? Is it fear? I tried to give a white boy a chance. (laughs) I really did. (laughs) I really tried. I really tried to give a white boy a chance. Even ran his ads on here. I'll tell you another story about another white boy. Not this one. <laughs> when I used to, when I go to my father's house in the summertime, I do have friends in Myrtle Beach. Mm-hmm. And at one point, I had a group of white friends. Uh, two of them, Laura and Don. Don Culp the third, My guy. 
Don and I would play, um, what's that game with the, with the guitars? Guitar Hero. We play Guitar Hero. He would play. He would play guitar, and I play bass. And he asked me, "Why do you play bass on Guitar Hero?" And I was like, "Cause I'm black. Like, I resonate more with the bass line. I'm sorry, brother." Mm. We would drink Rolling Rocks and beers until we got drunk. We pay. We had. We were a hell of a beer pong team. Oh my God, me and Don Cope the third. Hell of a beer pong team. But sweetheart, you know, after freshman year at Howard and you go home, something's different. Yeah. Something in you has changed. <laughs> and um, I was hanging out with Don and we had just played football with, and I've told the story before, with probably one of the most physically gifted people I've ever witnessed in real life. His name was Charlie. He's now a cop in Wisconsin. Oh. That's not good. <laughs> oh, I just put that together. Um, so we're in Don's truck and we're driving back to his house. The football field is in his neighborhood. So it's like a two minute drive. And we're in the car and we just witnessed Charlie do like amazing things with his body on the football field. I have never seen anybody move like that other than like on TV. And Don asked me, he's like, can I say something to you honestly? And I'm nervous because I'm like, oh boy, what's this white man got to say to me honestly? And I'm like, sure, Don, don't offend me now. He was like, I'm not going to offend you. Don says to me, he was like, looked me dead in the face. And he was like, damn, that nigga was fast. Don is white. Don Cope the third is white. This is my second to last white friend. He looks at me and he says, damn, that nigga was fast. And says it so smooth. I'm looking at him and he was like, what's up? And I was like, why'd you say that? And he was like, well, he was fast. And I was like, no, why'd you say that? He's like, I thought we were cool. I thought I could speak to you honestly. I thought, you know what I'm saying? If, you know what I'm saying? You black, I thought we cool. And I was like, Don, no, man. No, man. We didn't break up then, but the next summer we did break up. We tried to hang out a couple of times. Uh, and then I started, I didn't know that I wasn't hanging out with Don's regular friends. The next summer I hung out with his regular friends from South Carolina, them South Carolina white boys that he felt comfortable enough that he thought he could just say the N word to me passively. Oh, wow. Yeah, they wasn't saying it passively. <laughs> they were saying it aggressively. Yeah. And that would be my last time hanging out with Don Cope III. And I tried to give another white boy a chance. <laughs> didn't work, maybe it's white men. <laughs> Cause Carrie cool, mm. Marianne is cool. Who else? Know some other white girls? Yeah, they cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got in the comments, sweetheart. Any thoughts on if we can live without white people? Is that a bad thing? Does that mean I gotta delete my rock playlist? Don't judge somebody love. <coughs> Natalie said hopping on to say power to the people mm. black power baby blue that's Camille right yeah uh, Camille she said yes most black people are running the government for real um <coughs> huh okay what else we got Empress says it sounded like 
shit was looking like get out that's what i that's what i was saying the whole weekend literally the whole day i was like i feel like get just out. get out vibes baby yeah because they was about to butter us up, yeah. get us drunk Smiling on that. Face, Yo, what was in that limoncello? What did she say was in that limoncello? Everclear. Yeah, Everclear and vodka. <laughs> it was good, though. These white people are ridiculous. I wanted another one. At the memorial service, when you got out of the memorial, they had shots of limoncello, which was lemon juice, <laughs> Everclear, and vodka. Not even lemon juice. It was like lemon. What is it? Lemon zest. So just straight. <laughs> yeah. White people wild, right. bruh. Yeah. And they had like an open bar, which I've never been to. I've never been to a memorial service where they had an open bar. Right. Now I've never been to a, a place like this either, though. Right. Um. Camille says, "Think back to when we ran our own neighborhoods. We absolutely can live without them." <sighs> So, so since we're in our Afro pessimism bag, like we can live without without them, but will they let us? That's my thing, exactly. You know, that's the pessimistic thought. The pest, I get it now. Oh wow, I had to talk about it out loud. The pessimistic thought is that we have no control. Mm-hmm. You want to say something? No, I was done. Oh. Um. Yeah, the pessimistic part of it is that, like, we don't have the power to change it. And it's even even crazier and sadder to think about it, Camille. I'm sorry to put it this way, but, like, when we had our own, we had to have our own. Right. Because there was no alternative. But now we don't have to, and it seems imperative, especially by the new whites, to make sure that we are included in their systems. Lady of the House brought up a great point over the weekend, and which we talked about on the show before, but when we think about integration, that moment of integration, nobody considered that integration should be white people integrating into black society and not black society integrating into white society. Exactly. Somehow we ended up getting bust across schools instead of bust across towns instead of kid, white kids getting dropped off at schools. Mm-hmm. Don't understand how that happened. Right. Never mind. I understand how that happened. Afro pessimism. Thanks, Frank B. Wilderson the third. <laughs> Wild Wilderson. Jesus. Who else we got? <laughs> um, now look. I was just thinking about like how. Not even just black people, but pretty much all minorities always have to say, "Oh, we need to come together. We need to." love one another, you know, brotherly love, that whole thing. It's always been us, and it's never been the other way. Say it. Say more. Yeah. (laughs) I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. It has always been like all the brown people got to stick together against the white individuals. But also (laughs) trying to... Wait, what? No, like... Think of Martin Luther King. Thinking. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say more. <laughs> I thought you was going to say more. Yeah, um, okay. It was always like brown and white, like black and white, you know? Yeah. We need to come together. Yeah. Never like, it's never been white people like, we need to come together with black people. We've oh, been white, white, white. Uh, 
You are you mm, right? Are you saying there's been no white formed rainbow coalition? Yes. <laughs> what about him? He he started the NAACP or was a founder? I don't know. Yeah, he founded NAACP. Yeah, but that's NAACP. NAACP. Oh, right, right. <laughs> National Association. For the advancement of colored people. Not on the behalf of white people because he changed his race to black. Is, ooh, sweetheart! <laughs> Has there been no white rainbow coalition? I guess, okay, okay. Not to disagree, but just to push on it to see if we can find a point. Okay. Do politicians not count? Mm, not for real. <laughs> What about what about brand DEI? Does that count? I think does that count? Does does like bounties uh 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 prompt let's use a real one. Does Target, because Target we studied, Target is the best. Right. When we talk about the DEI promises that happened after George Floyd, they are statistically, empirically, and you know what I'm saying, quite uh qualifiably narratively anecdotically the best mm -hmm. you go to you take your ass to target right now they got some black owned products in there right <clears throat> and without all the hoopla like oh we black owned <sighs> they only do that in february anyway and juneteenth which is coming around yeah would targets intentional dei initiatives count as a white uh, uh, Rainbow Coalition, the white effort to initiate to ingratiate themselves in black culture. We started to talk about this. I f I feel like we were saying what what did you say? Did you oh, say I know what we said. I, that's why I'm that's why I'm getting primed. You see the shoulders <laughs> is getting they getting primed. <laughs> because like sadly, unless anybody in the comments like wait, it's actually. Cause it might be Target. Hold on. White organizations who are dedicated to to ingratiating, to yeah, yeah, to accepting themselves into Black culture. We had two examples on the first episode of Wake and Bake with BMO. We had Scott Adams, and we had uh, what's that? What's that girl name? Uh, Rachel Dozar. What a light ass we are. Um, but I can't think of institutions. Are there any institutions who are doing the Rachel Dozal? I know it's got to be one. That's a good question, though. Are there institutions that are doing the... Would nonprofits count? I'm thinking about after school all-stars. I call them bitches out by name. Oh, <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> Would an organization who was dedicated to like eradicating poverty or or out of school learning, mm -hmm. uh, but do them in exclusively black work and black uh, uh, communities, would they be considered the white rainbow coalition? Would they be considered an effort for whiteness to fully integrate into black culture instead of trying to meld the two together. And which is always so weird having a conversation about black culture after talking about Afro-pessimism, which says that black culture is not Friday. Black culture is actually just the lower caste system. But anyway, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> 
would these white based nonprofits who do work in black communities be considered the white, what you call it? Now I have an answer. I have a, I have a, I have a, a, a counter argument to it because they are using white dollars to actually just try to eradicate an empathetic feeling of white guilt, not necessarily trying to do the work of solving the issues of a community, but you know, there's another conversation, yeah. but like as a, on a more macro level, mm-hmm. would they count? I mean, you have experience in the nonprofit space, so <laughs> what do you think? No. We might have to come back to this, though. Okay. Yeah. Because while also trying to form the new Black Brain Trust, I was talking to one of the potential founders. Hopefully, um. She asked me if I was trying to create a new creative theory. And I was like, no, I'm trying to create another NAACP. And so I'm saying that to say in regards to this white rainbow coalition, we talk about whiteness a lot on season four. I'm liking this. I think we have to define what the work is. Right. Right. Because if, if the work is just the aesthetic of solving black problems without actually coming up with real solutions that I don't know <laughs> if that counts. Right. But if the work is the first steps of like, so if the work is not just like a single endpoint of you're doing the best thing for liberation, but it is a process to get to that, then I guess the start point could be mockery and tokenism I suppose those are the first steps to to liberation were mockery instead of just being straight out outcast now we're being mocked and then we'll be tokenized and then we'll be uh, falsely represented and then we'll be presented uh, a false sense of independence and then finally we'll have our liberation by coming up with independent systems but hmm hmm has that's a great point I never hear white people saying like, you know what? Other than Rachel Dolezal and Adam Scott, which one might be doing the right thing and the other one is definitely doing the wrong thing. <laughs> um, hmm. Other comments? Okay. And also, you know what it's time for. It's time for the burning questions <clears throat> for the road. Okay, so we got a few comments. Here. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so Carl Nard says, just tapping in to say- Carl! Carl's a white guy! Oh my God! Carl, don't fuck it up! Oh my God! <laughs> Woo! We found one! Carl, you're the third white friend I've had in a long time. The other two didn't make it. <laughs> they didn't make it. He <laughs> said, miss you, Bimo. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Nice, nice. Um, let's see. Kendall said, good morning. Hey! Kendall! <laughs> my man. Owen said, no. Um, no, wait, no to what? I don't know. You got to put it back in there. Oh, I got the rabbit. Okay. Uh, Lauren waved. Hey, Lauren, what's up? The hustler? Yeah. Nice. Micah said, kind of Trader Joe's. Uh, <laughs> wait, is Trader Joe's his example? Of a, yeah. Of an organization? Yeah. I need to hear more. <laughs> uh, I need to hear more about TV, TV dinner, the store. <laughs> Malik said, nah, that's them getting rid of guilt. I think in, in reference to That's non-profits. non-profit. Yeah, yeah, that's non-profits. Mm-hmm. Owen said, eradicating poverty and only focusing on black communities is the same as the NAACP story. Or 
Are the NAACP and Target doing the same thing? What do you say? To, what do you say? Eradicating poverty and only focusing on black communities. Okay, only focusing on black communities. Yeah. Get out of here, Target. All right. Micah said also several Catholic and cooperative Baptist fellowship organizations. Missionaries. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. I can see that. I can see that. Oh, and said they're not bringing the impoverished class together outside of racial lines. But hold on. Let me back up. Let me back up. Because T.D. Jakes introduced a new blueprint. Are the Catholic and missionaries right, right. doing the T.D. Jakes, though? Because <laughs> right. that's the... I know it's only like eight months old. Yeah. But we have, to, we have to talk about this. Yeah. T.D. Jakes might be the Paul exactly. Robeson Negro exactly. of the Week. That's right. That's what it is. So we're producing the show live, baby. <laughs> Are they doing the T.D. Jakes? Tune in on Thursday to find out. <laughs> and we going to hold our other two for next week. That's right. Hold on. <laughs> We're going to have forever topics. Okay, we got those topics down. Okay, good point, though, Micah. Thanks for bringing it up. See the divine, see what I'm saying? Silver and gold. (laughs) That was my jam. What are we talking about? Anyway, what else we got? That's it? You you, you were saying, hold on. About... Oh, oh, you're still going to talk about yeah, it. We talk about it. We talk about it on Thursday. Because okay. are, the, are they doing the T.D. Jakes? <laughs> That's pretty much all we got. All right, for sure. Uh, you know what? It, it's time then. Burning question. Roach. I like it slowed better. <laughs> I like it slowed down a little better. <laughs> hmm. Could be anything. You know what I'm saying today we talked about uh, our escape from white people if we need to do so, um, and then the first topic we talked about was or as I just clicked away my notes in the most disrespectful way. Wow. Okay. Um, Afro pessimism, suffrage, slavery, and classism. Isn't that crazy that tipping comes from suffrage, right. slavery, and capitalism? <laughs> The establishes. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. If you would, if we let's just say we eradicated tipping today, yeah. And twenty-one years from now, we were talking to a twenty-one-year-old, and we were like, "Hey, at one point in time, there were certain jobs where they didn't pay you a living wage and expected the customer to actually pay your wage." Right. Would that make sense? <laughs> Absolutely. Wouldn't that 21 year old be like, that's slavery, right? <laughs> Wouldn't that 21 year old be like, you were a slave? Wait a minute. That's not slavery, but that's fucked up. Ooh, I thought of something, but it's kind of like. Go ahead, hit, hit it. Okay, hit so... it. We got to get spite. I need some clips. <laughs> okay, so kind of related to slavery, but. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Afro pessimism breeds conversations of relations to slavery. I'm ready. I'm thinking about prison, really. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we we know the connection. Mm-hmm. But what? Mm-hmm. I'm like, what do we do about? What do we do? <laughs> what do we do about prison? Yeah. Well, Mark Lamont Hill is actually anti-prison. Like, get rid of jails today. So what do we do with those people? Exactly. Uh, exactly. Exactly. 
Isn't that such a hard question? Right. But like, I know I know his answers, and I'm going to tell you the answers in a second. But like, it's the perfect thought. Let's get rid of the system. Mm-hmm. Follow up question: What do we do with what we've been doing with it before? Right. I don't know. I don't know. My father used to say, you are smarter than I don't know. And I agree. Mm-hmm. But that don't change my present situation. Right. But we are smart enough to figure it the fuck out. <laughs> that's the thing. Yeah. Like, that's it. Yeah. Mark, Mark Lamont Zeal says we get rid of prison and we immediately replace all those prison systems with the same money that it would take to build a prison system would take the same money it is actually try to reform humans. Okay. So like instead of jails, we could have communities. Mm-hmm. Instead of punitive, we could have reformation. And I know niggas is thinking, but like uh, uh, niggas gonna do that shit again. It's always gonna be crime. Sure, but why is there crime? Another question, crime comes at the presence of inequity. Inequity. Crime comes at the presence of inequity. The highest forms of crime happen in gentrified neighborhoods. Why? Because there is a visual aesthetic of prosperity against the people who are not enjoying that visual aesthetic of prosperity. And so when they have been locked out of a system, people are not going to die instead of eat. So they will eat Mm -hmm. instead of die. It is really that simple. So if we attack crime, maybe we could also attack jail (laughs) if we take away jail maybe we could also introduce true reform I don't know I don't know and maybe we could be wrong and that's also a dangerous thought that the thing that we could replace what we have now that is also dangerous with something that is more more harmful is a valid fear I get it we let the niggas out of jail I know the first thought you thinking is now we just got murderers running up and down the street shit that's my thought too <laughs> that's my thought too you know what I'm saying and I love I mean you know what I'm saying ooh I love a nigga when he go to jail for some, some bad shit he did ooh go to ooh you gotta go to jail but it's a dangerous thought it's an interesting thought it's a thought that we should think about and not just automatically cascade or not automatically categorize as a thing that we call right therefore we have to keep doing it I think Ilyanula what's her name oh my god Ilyanula she said in that same interview with uh, um, Ebony K. Brown um, she said I'm looking up my note right now Uh, I can't find the exact note anymore Um, but essentially oh uh how we were is not bad or wrong. What we've done is not bad or wrong. What we've taught and learned is not bad or wrong. Let's consider that there's a greater possibility and another way to be. What was your question? Basically, what do we do about prison and jail? Prison and jail? I don't know. But we got to do something. Um, and maybe we'll talk about Mark Lamont Hill's approach to uh, anti-jail. I heard him talk about it on the podcast with the Brilliant Idiots a long time ago. And I still hear him uh, defend, or I see him defend that point on Twitter every once every once in a while. But like, there's a very abolitionist uh, stance to be anti-prison, anti-jail. It is a fucked up system. 
I mean, it does uh, um, answer a particular social need or a particular social fear, but that does not mean that it is the only answer. I like to think about it. We talk about this several times. I like to think about it in the Monsters Inc. way, saying the monsters were scaring that little girl because they thought that was the most powerful form of power was fear until they made her laugh and realized that was 10 times more powerful. Right. What if we just need to do it a different way? <clears throat> we got any comments before we get out of here? Yeah. Um, Owen said, feels like slavery, damn it. So it does feel like slavery. Um, it looks like, like slavery. Yeah, right. Uh, my bro connects said Afro pessimism. Mm -hmm. Pac Man Dre said good morning with the little. <laughs> Wait, who said Afro pessimism? Uh, my bro connect. For sure. Oh, nice. Jennifer. Come on, Afro pessimism. She's smart and black. She be in the ground. Nice. I think Jennifer is her name. I think Jennifer, if that's not your name, please don't whoop my ass. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. But I do remember you used to do the, um, at after school all Star. she used to do the, um, we had an agricultural class for okay. some of the students yeah. when they did their own gardens. She did the class for the middle schoolers. So we, we always appreciated that. I knew she was a radical then. Oh, I was gonna do some black things now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we gonna do some. We gonna do some black things in here now. Okay, Kavu mm. says hmm? more crisis mental health workers, but then some people are really violent just because. That's true. Some people are really violent just because. Mm -hmm. I mean, we gotta put them in a cage. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> it seems like the right answer to me. I don't know. <laughs> For the time being, I guess I don't know. Malik um, said. Maybe turn jail, like foreign jail. I think it's Denmark, more like society rehab. I can see that. Yeah. I can see that. Hmm. 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 <laughs> Here's the... <sighs> so if we turn jail into society rehab, who's in charge of the indoctrination? The... Right. <laughs> <laughs> The <laughs> right, <laughs> right, exactly. The and you know, on that note, we'll be back on Thursday with more Wake and Bake with Tuesday and Thursday, 8 a.m. shop. Uh, spark you a blunt bowl or even a cart. Uh, <laughs> Wake and Bake with B Mo. Yeah, we're gonna leave you with a little video tease of my man Michael's Tone Shape. Make sure y'all check that out on all streaming platforms. I think we have a surprise coming for you very soon when it comes to Tone Shape, but you know, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> Either way, I'll see y'all on Tuesday. Thanks for joining. Make sure you hit the like, subscribe. Come on, y'all. Come on, y'all. We gotta hit the digital. We gotta hit the digital likes, man. We gotta hit the. See, this, 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 this is my interpretation of what, what folks are doing on Wake and Bake with BMO. I think they smoking they blunt. I think they watching the show. Not even watching, they listening to the show, they brushing their teeth. I think they like, hmm, this nigga making good ass points. I disagree. And they have little arguments in their head and then they get off and then they have arguments with their friends. And then like, they go tell their other friend and they like, man, this nigga BMO, then you percolating conversations through our communities and I love it. But you ain't hit no like, you ain't no subscribe, you ain't telling nigga what's up, you know what I'm saying? You ain't did nothing, you ain't saying no, good morning. Just, just, I want you to know, hold on. It's just me, Cameron, laid house, okay? We need a little, um, what I need from you is understanding. We need a little love, okay?
Reach out and touch right. <laughs> your like button. <laughs> Let me get up out of here. Micah, take us away, man. Good morning. <laughs>